This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I'm fired up today because not only do we have Doug Allen on the program, we've also got co-host, my daughter, Ivy James, two years old, a little under two years old, uh, and we have about 16 minutes left of Peppa Pig, so we better uh, we better get through this. She is, uh, she's already tried to hit the stop record button a couple of times. It's yeah. amazing how... Kids of a certain age, like there's 70 things she can mess around with in this room. And, and, and it's somehow only, it's the yeah. record button. It's the one that she's most attracted and to. And at home, it's the pair of scissors that she's <laughs> most attracted to. It's always the dangerous thing or the thing you need, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But so we'll we'll be quick about this, but there is a couple of uh, things to talk about for sure. Doug Allen first on the show. Uh, Vice President of Finance over at Burrard Properties. They do tons of work down in Washington. We've actually had Doug on the show before uh, back in 2018, but we're not talking to him about real estate development today. We are talking about Doug's new book. This is kind of an amazing story. His book is called A Fighting Chance, The High School Finance Education Everyone Deserves. Right. And which I should say coincidentally is uh, you have a, a memoir about your dating life in high school called A Fighting Chance, don't you? So this is uh, this is uh, an odd coincidence. But, odd uh, coincidence. I'm going to have to change my title. I, right. think, I think I was overly optimistic. So his book, A Fighting Chance, is all things finance in Canada. It right. really runs a gamut. It's It's got some really useful information on real estate, which we're going to talk about primarily on this show. But this is kind of everything Doug wished he knew at 17 in a really comprehensive, easy, and engaging book. Sure. And it's great to have Doug back on the show. That is for sure. So stay tuned for that because we're talking good debt, bad debt, uh, percentage of portfolio that should be in real estate, when that makes sense, uh, tips for first-time home buyers, just mortgage information. It's it's a really kind of starter guide in a really really compelling uh, Pragmatic kind of way. Pragmatic. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Because, I mean, Doug talks about how he went to business school and he didn't really capture these ideas till he was working and getting established. That's it. This is where the rubber hits the road. Super excited about this book. And uh, before we get to our conversation with Doug, Matt, we're sponsored by Oakland Realty. That's right. We are sponsored by Oakland Realty this week. Oakland Realty is our brokerage, best brokerage in the city, growing like gangbusters. I feel like all I see are signs around town with the big gold O on them. 
if you are a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, looking for good resources, good culture, Oakland Realty is your place. Head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020. You'll meet Michael Morgan and the gang. You'll get a huge incentive with that VRP2020, and it's something very, very special. Yeah, it's definitely worth sitting down with Michael and Morgan. What else have we got, Matt? What are you? You've well, been vaccinated. I've been, I've been vaccinated. I got vaccinated on Monday. I live in a hot spot, right. or a hot zone. What do they call it? I don't know. The, what do you mean, fifty plus? <laughs> it's, that's the zone. Yeah, but I, uh, my neighborhood was. I feel like most of East Van uh, is was, a hot zone. Was uh, was called a hot zone, yeah. and uh, and I got a yeah. So I'm a I'm a Moderna. Uh, You're a Moderna. I'm a Moderna man. My wife got uh, the, uh, what did she get? She got the AstraZeneca, has she not was, felt well since she's had it. Yeah, and this is, we don't want to do a, a PSA on, uh, no. you should still go and do it, but it does feel like, um, you know, I, I had a sore arm for 20 minutes. She's been on her back for a week. Well, she had, yeah, <laughs> but she had, a, I think it's a combination of, you know, there's it, it some anxiety around that now, and the media's not helping. But Nobody's helping. Nobody's helping AstraZeneca, <laughs> including AstraZeneca. Right. But uh, yeah, I live in a hot zone, but really what I wanted to talk about not was less about me getting vaccinated and more about uh, the hot zone you live in, because right. we, for had, a different reason. we had a, some would say a terrifying incident occur well, over the weekend. And I, I'm going to back up, because I, I live in an area that most people will be familiar with called Strathcona uh, in East Vancouver. Really, really great Not area. a hot zone for COVID, by the uh, way. Yeah, and I'm on the Union bike ride. I, I, we love the area. We're super happy there, and we're, we're there for the long haul. But uh, this year, we have uh, – most people will be familiar from the media with the uh, encampment in Well, it's hard not Park. to – go in and out of downtown from the east right. if you take the viaducts and not notice the encampment the at encampment. Strathcona Park, right? Yeah. It's a, it was a massive, massive tent city. And, and, and a lot of the area had a, a big kind of surge with crime, a lot of, you know, stolen bicycles and stolen patio furniture and some break and entering, uh, stuff like that, right? You'd so, say, I would say that the community, from an outsider's perspective, seemed to be on edge over yeah. the last year for sure. And now that they've they've shut down the park, Right. There's been kind of this... Uh, well, there was a, a an increase of activity in the last few weeks as they were shutting down the park. Yeah, and I would say there was an uptick of, um, you know, illegal activity in the last week or two as they were going in to, to break up the camp. It felt like that uh, on the ground, right? Yeah, so, so, and, that's how, and that's how it felt. But anyways, it's, uh, the, the good news is people are being housed um, and, uh, you know, the, the park is, is being uh, revamped. It's going to look great. Remediated. Uh, remediated. So anyways, but that, that's kind of the backdrop to the story that of what we back- found under my deck. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so right. I'm at your house on your back deck having a, a you and your wife and your daughter barbecue yeah. um, uh, over the weekend, right? Uh, it was nice out, and we're sitting on the deck, and my wife is sitting in a in a position where she can almost see under your deck, right by your house, and she says, "What are these bags under here?" And it was right. you were I think you were uh, you weren't there at this at this moment, but no. Your wife, Sabrina, is like, what are you talking about? She So Kim pulls out this bag, and it's like a big plastic bag that's been rained on. Yep. And uh, so she pulls out, like, little kids' socks, but still in their packaging, but, like, yep. 20 pairs of little kids' socks. Fresh out of the – fresh from the store. Yeah. Like, there was a receipt in there. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, weird socks. And then there was a pair of Nike, like, nice Nike shoes for probably, Nike, like, a five-year-old Nike. Nike, Nike yeah. shoes. This is – Emphasis uh, on the yeah five year olds Nike shoes brand new like and there's a receipt and they were like seventy bucks I was like oh wow this is they uh, were like uh, they they yeah they were really nice like the like a like like a sneaker head would like these yeah shoes. exactly yeah two hats that were very strange uh, they one had a pom pom one had a pom pom and the other had like a unicorn thing but it was like really gaudy hats for like your juicy a, couture a tw- <laughs> but maybe for like a 12 year old i don't yeah. know but we were trying to figure out like and a half pack of smokes right yeah, a half ba- pack of smokes <laughs> belmont golds half the round out golds. the weirdest bag we've ever found so we're trying what what is this bag who left this bag and sabrina thought well you know when we were build when we were building the house maybe it was like some one of the workers yeah and then you were thinking it was oh maybe somebody from ivy's first birthday party we didn't see it although like who would give her it maybe fell behind the deck or weird hats and things like that 
But we were trying to figure it out. We were trying to figure it out for like a couple hours. And then just as the sun goes down, it's getting a little dark. I'm starting to get nervous just generally. (laughs) As you do in the dark. As I do, it's it's getting dark. Yeah. yeah. Now this is cue the dateline portion of the the story. This is when Adam didn't realize. Right. Kim goes back and she's like, oh, there was another bag back there. I don't know why she didn't pull it out, you know, in the daylight. But sure. uh, she went back under the deck and she was like, oh, my God, we weren't in that area. She was like, oh, my God, you got to see this. And I'll let you explain what she found. Yeah. So it was a bag that had a uh, a club, like a billy bat. And then like had- a sp- and it was. It seemed like it was, I've never seen a billy club like that. Like it wasn't like homemade. It looked like some, it looked almost like something, uh, like almost like the leg of a chair fashioned into a Oh, really? Because uh, I bat. was thinking like, where would you buy this? Like a fish of... club, like something you'd club a fish yeah, with. Yeah, actually that's probably what it that's was. That's what it yeah. was, right? Yeah. And then you had a hatchet, an a axe. hatchet with red. With red on it that we thought red was Red all over the blade. Yeah. Uh, there was um, a rope. There was a... Um, a bag of needles. A bag, balaclava. A balaclava. It yeah. was the most terrifying bag. It was basically, you were like, if you were looking to, if you needed a kit, if you were like, man, I need a kit to like kidnap somebody. It's like what? Or yeah. do an armed robbery or break into somebody's home when they're there. Totally. This is your bag. And it was in one of those bags with the strings. Yeah. Like it was It was like those... a Dateline starter pack. Yeah. And it was, the craziest thing about it is that we went down and and I, I was upstairs putting Ivy to sleep and I came down. We're all kind of circling it. My, my wife's mind, Sabrina's oh, mind, she, she was, goes, so she goes straight to that someone has now hidden this bag. They're coming back. Yeah. It's to use on us. Which as a in family. her defense, it was right beside your back door under your deck. Right. So yeah. It's not <laughs> Inconceivable. Yeah. I usually leave that door open. <laughs> um, but anyways, so the craziest thing about this though is that so I decide I'm gonna I'm gonna phone the police and I decide I'm gonna leave. Yeah, yeah, and never come back. Um, but <laughs> you mean East Van generally? Yeah, like, uh, I just drove straight to Coquitlam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fort Moody's beautiful. Uh, no, but what was crazy though is that we we looked in in the bag and we called the police. Uh, the the police officer, really friendly uh, police officer, came by. Um, she was not the least bit concerned about the bag. That is, she was like, that's crazy. She right? was like, oh yeah, I get a, I, I pick up a couple of these bags every day, which, which is crazy because I think like that bag is, you find that bag in the back of a car, you've caught a murderer. Well, it's like, right? an, yeah, it's like, that's Alfred Hitchcock. Like it is a, that was a terrifying bag. Yeah. I've never seen anything like yeah. that before. Yeah. And it was a tote bag. The, the crazy, <laughs> that was the scariest the, part. The, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> that, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. But it, I remember you telling me after, cause the cop said, she was like, why'd you call me? Yeah. It was almost to that effect. She was she, like, that's she, it not wasn't. blood. It's, it looks like rust. It looks like rust. Yeah. <laughs> We're look, good. Yeah. It looks like it's it's been soaked in blood for a long time and it's rusted. Um, but here's the thing, though. <laughs> it's just because he left it in a vat of blood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I actually, so we talked to her for a while and she said she picks these up off the street all the time. And And I think the biggest thing is, is that in hindsight now, the more I've been thinking about it is... Presumably, and and we don't want to make any false accusations. Oh, we but, don't want to make any assumptions. Uh, assumptions about where it came from, but the way she framed it was: when you are in a position where you're exposed and you're sleeping outside, you're sleeping outside. This is actually um, a bag. Like, definitely, there's uh, there's you know for theft, like the balaclava, maybe. But this is a bag more based on defense and defending yourself because if you don't have a weapon you could i guess become a victim uh quite easily right, right? so right. it's more for the the security of the person so i actually went back on my security tape and i i found the uh the oh, guy oh this is new to me um yeah i found the guy uh he came through my yard he went through a, a bunch of yards and then he sat beside my deck for a while and then he got had up a, and he had and a he, Belmont and he left. Yeah, <laughs> had a Belmont right under my window. And then he took. No, he didn't have. How a long ago was it? How long was it there? Uh, it was only early August, like the first week of August. So it's only been there about a month, uh, which makes me comfortable wearing Wait, early August. No, or, I'm sorry, early April. April early April. Okay. Yeah, it's only been there about a month. So um, 
Yeah. So anyway, so Ivy is currently wearing the Nikes. And, I was going to uh, say. And I'm wearing the pom-pom Juicy Couture. So let's, uh, it was a win-win. Yeah, it was a win-win <laughs> overall. But anyways, we got, we got to get to this show and we got to get this kid home. So uh, what else do we have before we cut to the I, interview? I don't think we got anything else except to say we are getting into the last weeks of our <laughs> – this kid is literally trying to turn yeah. the studio over. We are getting – uh, into the last weeks of our listing incentive, yes. we do have a listing incentive for listeners, VREP community, family and friends of the VREP community. If you're looking to list your house, your condo, your townhome, and the Scalina brothers may be a good fit, and I would suggest we are. Uh, we've been doing this a while. We know what we're doing. We have an incentive that lasts to mid-June. Get in touch. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. But Adam, let's talk to Doug Allen. This yeah, is, and I, I just is, want to be the last to say uh, I, I love East Vancouver. East Vancouver is our bread and butter, and we love it so much. And uh, this story is not a reflection of uh, safety this is a in one, the community. This is it a was one a one-off. time, a one-time thing, and we're yeah. only bringing it up here for a special effect. Yeah, old hat to the police officer, though. <laughs> Definitely, that was <laughs> that was the craziest part. Enjoy. <laughs> Okay, so we're here with Doug Allen, Vice President of Finance and Operations at Burrard Properties and also author of A Fighting Chance, The High School Finance Education Everyone Deserves. Welcome back to the show, Doug. Thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be here. Yeah, I feel like it was a couple years ago you were on the show, I think back in 2018, talking about Seattle at the time. Right. Now we have you on for an entirely different reason to talk about your new book, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I think so. I've had a pretty good long career now across different aspects of finance and accounting and commercial real estate. So it's time for me to pass along the knowledge. Right. Well, maybe can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I graduated from a Bachelor of Commerce in McGill University back in 2008, and I went right into the Chartered Accountancy program at Ernst & Young, earning my CA in 2011. And I was at Ernst & Young for about eight years, focusing on financial services and investment dealers as my main client base. And about five years ago, I moved from public practice accounting into commercial real estate with Ferrard. And since then, I've been vice president of finance working on real estate development and investment projects, as you say, mostly down in Seattle, despite being headquartered in Vancouver, we focused very much in the Seattle market. So suffice to say, over the last sort of 10 to 15 years of my career, it's been all finance all the time. Right. And Doug, so why leave Ernst & Young to work at a development company? Were you like in the real estate side of accounting or was that just a change based on the love of real estate? Actually, it's a great story. When I was in my last few years at Ernst & Young, I started to volunteer on a not-for-profit board. It was the Polygon Art Gallery in North Vancouver at the foot of Bonstow. Oh, right, right at the key. Yeah, and when I joined the board, the gallery was called Presentation House Gallery, and we were in this old schoolhouse up the hill. And so they were looking for a new treasurer to lead the real estate development finance of building that new $18, $20 million facility. So that was my first foray into real estate finance was the development of that gallery. And lo and behold, a couple of years after I joined that board, Christian Chan, who's the principal at Berard, joined the board. And the two of us got to know each other pretty well. And you know, Christian had just bought this site for this project in Seattle called Nexus, a 40-story tall condo tower that we've just completed. And he said, I need a finance guy for me. And do you want to come work with me at Berard? And at the time, I had just had my second child. And as you're probably aware, public practice accounting is not light on the hours. So it was an opportunity <laughs> to uh, to learn something new and branch out and pursue a pretty cool project with Berard. Right on. I haven't been through the whole book, but this is kind of an interesting, a really interesting project, right? So it's a fighting chance, basically, as I understand it, a book for providing financial literacy for young Canadians, right? It's basically the financial education nobody gets in high school, if I understand. Can you tell us a little bit about why you wrote the book and really what the book's about? Sure. You know, being in the finance world now for 15 years, I've picked up a lot of knowledge that has helped me personally when it comes to my own personal finances. Things like the power of time, right? Compounding, tracking a personal balance sheet, a personal income statement, investments, investment allocation, debt, all these things that are super important to know when someone's planning out their finances, but that I wish I had learned when I was 17 or 18 because the time value of money. 
So I said, hey, why don't I write a book that is applicable to teenagers, really, right before you've earned your first paycheck, so that you at least have this foundation of knowledge that you can take when you're young and get fired up about your finances so that you're putting yourself in a position to excel and succeed financially with all this knowledge that is, I hope, fun to read and applicable and pragmatic, and it's not boring, (laughs) I hope, and it's in a tone that's approachable and not too dry. So that's the idea, build a foundation while people are young, and it's effectively the knowledge that I wish was taught to me when I was in high school. And like you, probably, I got zero when I was in high school. I didn't learn about things like compounding and investments and asset allocation until I was into you know, second, third year university. And I took business. So imagine everybody out there who has to make decisions about buying a house, renting, buying a car, leasing a car, investing, taking on debt, who got zero. And I'm just going, wow, there's a huge gap here in the education. And hopefully one day this stuff makes it into the curriculum. But in the meantime, I can do it myself. Right. 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 So the book is is basically all-encompassing. Like if you're thinking about leasing a car, you potentially use this book. If you're thinking about buying a mutual fund, this is the book for you. Do I have that right? That's right. Yeah. I started the book really at the foundational level of finance. Before I got into the specifics of a mutual fund and an investment property and the specifics, I started with the foundations. So to me, the number one foundation is time is your most valuable ally when it comes to money right? Because of the idea of compounding, right? Of taking a dollar and investing it and that investment gain then being reinvested and the gains earning gains and the gains earning gains. And then the snowball effect takes place where over long periods of time, 10, 30, 50 years, it's the initial investments you've made at the very beginning of time that grow to the largest numbers. So that's the number one foundation. Number two is on the concept of opportunity cost, right? That every financial decision someone makes has an alternative scenario. So if you're going to buy a house, that can be a good decision, but you could have taken that down payment and put it in an ETF or a mutual fund. So which one's the better financial decision to make? And what are the levers that are on both sides of that decision to make the right one? And then finally, risk. You know, what could go wrong with your money? You know, and there's always risk to everything. There's there's risk to doing nothing, right? As we all know, inflation is coming and putting your cash in a bank account might actually result in you becoming poorer. <laughs> right. So understanding where risks lie in every sort of financial decision and how you can manage those risks. And then after that, then we hop into the specifics of what are the investments? How do you do due diligence? What kinds of debt are good and bad? How do you set a long-term goal and a plan for yourself? You know, this sort of concept of vivid vision, right? Of looking at how do you want your life to turn out? You know, when you're down the road and you're 40, 50, 60 years old, how do you want your lifestyle to look? What will that cost and what does that mean for your investment strategy now? Right. So thinking about real estate specifically, I mean, this provides us an opportunity to ask questions that we don't usually ask on this show, right? Like the real basics. And one thing that struck me about your answer was that second point about opportunity cost, because I feel like if you're ever on Twitter, at least, the argument rages about owning versus renting. In your mind, Doug, should every 17-year-old Canadian aspire to own a home? Not necessarily. Everyone's situation is different, right? There's a big change going on with younger people these days where they're much more nomadic, right? So they're moving around cities, chasing different jobs. So buying a home, as you two are well aware, has transaction costs associated with it, right? So when you buy a house, you're paying property transfer tax, you're paying legal fees and closing costs. And when you sell a house, you're paying legal fees and closing costs, realtor commissions. So, you know, you're probably looking at five, six percent of the value of that house just to get in and out of it. So if you're not going to be in that house for more than a couple of years, you might not be looking at buying. And furthermore, I think people don't quite get how the finances of owning a house works, right? Everyone focuses on what's the mortgage payment, right? How much mortgage can I afford? I think what actually might be useful is to sort of walk through an example of a typical, say, $500,000 condo purchase, right? And, you know, what does that look like financially, truly, right? right? Because to buy that house, let's assume you're putting down 20%, right? You're putting down $100,000. So right there, that $100,000, immediately, the first thing is opportunity cost. So you could put that hundred grand into an ETF, earn 6-7% after taxes. So that's what you could earn. So let's see how it goes in the house. So as I say, you buy $500,000 condo and you're paying 
what, $8,000 in transfer tax, $2,000 in legal. So you're $10,000 even to buy that house, which doesn't add to your equity at all. It's a transaction cost. And then every year you've got your property taxes. Maybe that's $1,500 a year. You got your HOA, your strata fees, right? That's $3,000, $4,000 a year. You've got maintenance repairs, insurance. And you're probably talking about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year when you layer in the mortgage and all the carrying costs. So yeah, some of that is principal reduction. You're paying down your mortgage and you're building equity in your house. But if that house does not increase in value every year, then you're probably right around maintenance level. You're keeping your $100,000 whole, but it's not growing. So you really have to be thinking about is this a good investment decision? Because in Vancouver, you know, everybody wants to separate this idea of a home being a home and not an investment, but it's a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you kind of have to look at it from an investment perspective and understand how the, the financial implications of that decision go. We've been fortunate in Vancouver that prices have been going up over the past several decades <laughs> at a pretty good clip, right? Three, four, five percent per year. I mean, this year has been unbelievable, as, as you know. And this is one of the reasons why real estate is so attractive to people both for home ownership and investors, is the power of leverage, right? The idea that you can buy a $500,000 asset with only $100,000 of your money and $400,000 of a bank's money. So if the property goes up by 20%, you've doubled your equity in one year. What if the property goes down 20%, you've lost all your equity. So there's risk. But I think when you're deciding on rent versus own, it's a, a longevity question. How long are you going to be in this house? that you can amortize those transaction costs in and out? How much do you believe in the market over your trajectory that it will go up and allow you to build equity in the home? And then lifestyle. Some people just like the idea, you know, pride of ownership and I can take walls down, I can paint, I can do whatever I want. And some people like the idea of, hey, I can rent it and I can walk away whenever I want, flexibility. So it's a lifestyle, financial decision that everyone needs to make. The key is to have the right tools to make the right decision for you. So thinking apart from the kind of lifestyle and pride of ownership kind of components, which I think do factor in, especially in a city where, you know, at least you hear about people getting evicted all the time and rent evictions and all that thing, like having a place that's your own is definitely, for a lot of people, peace of mind. Can you break down kind of the financial considerations a little bit further? Like what type of appreciation do you have to see where actually owning a home makes sense versus, say, the common trajectory of a decent ETF that, uh, you know, tracks the Toronto Stock Exchange, say? Definitely. And of course, the answer is depends on what kind of home you've bought. You know, does it have strata fees? Is it an older house with maintenance and repairs? But in today's interest rate environment where you're getting mortgage rates at 2% or lower, you're paying down a good percent of your mortgage, even in year one. You're paying down you know, 10 to 12% increasing your equity in year one. So with all the carrying costs of your house with property taxes and strata and maintenance and insurance and interest in your mortgage, you're coming out about even, you know, maybe a little bit negative on your cost to, to hold a house, absent any appreciation. So to me, broad strokes right now in this interest rate environment, you need one to 2% appreciation per year to be increasing your equity after all those costs. And it seems like that's a low amount, especially when we're looking at inflation coming up. And that's why the housing market is so out of control right now is because it's so easy to buy. And it's almost a sure thing in most people's minds that the house is going to go up more than one to 2% per year. Again, though, you have to pay people to get into that property and out of that property. So it's not just the annual costs of holding, it's the transaction costs on the in and the out that have to be amortized over the holding period of owning that home. So understand the components of costs, property taxes, strata, maintenance, insurance, interest, and do your own math on the property that you want to buy and figure out, okay, in order to amortize all of these costs, as well as the transaction costs over however long I think I'm going to stay in this house, how much does the house need to appreciate for me to at least have my home equity stay whole, and how much do I need for it to grow? How does inflation, and we've talked a lot about inflation on this show, but how does inflation play into these considerations? Because presumably everybody likes hard assets and inflation, but there's, Mm -hmm. like you said, opportunity cost all the time. So does that factor in, or is that just kind of a factor across the board? It definitely factors in. And I think inflation is something that's really difficult for a lot of people to get their heads around because there are so many 
input into how inflation is calculated, whether that's supply of money, whether that's the velocity of money in the economy, whether that's interest rates driving certain behaviors. I mean, generally, from a general sense, people can expect 2 to 3% inflation per year. Over the coming years, I think it's anyone's guess, I think even Warren Buffett in a recent speech was saying, expect higher than above average inflation, just given the fact that trillions of dollars have been printed into the American economy. So yes, in inflationary times, people generally flock towards hard assets like gold, like real estate, probably these days like cryptocurrency. <laughs> Dogecoin. And that causes... Dogecoin. Not, not, right. not after right. that SNL appearance. Yeah, I just shut that off. Anyway, continue. I, sorry. Yeah. I, I read yesterday that, that the total value of cryptocurrencies, all of them, is now more valuable than the, the total value of US dollars in circulation, which is pretty mind-blowing. Wow. But yeah, I think real estate is a good place to be during an inflationary environment because prices go up, as well as real estate is a leveraged asset. So you've borrowed money to buy it. So if you borrow $100,000 to buy a property, $100,000 doesn't change. The amount of money you have to pay back the bank at the end of the mortgage doesn't change based on inflation. And so in real terms, as the value of money decreases, the value of the mortgage you're paying back also decreases, i.e. becomes less expensive to pay back. So as the price of real estate goes up and the value of the debt goes down, appreciation in your equity results. So I am definitely transitioning my asset allocation out of equities and into real estate right now, because I believe, and I'm not an economist, I'm not a stock trader, but I have some basics. <laughs> and I, the stock market right now makes me a little nervous. There's a lot of PE ratios that I can't make sense of. And real estate, from an investment standpoint, cash flows, if you have a tenant in there that's paying rent and covering the carrying costs, I don't much mind that the value fluctuates up and down on a year-to-year basis as long as it goes up over long periods of time. And so it feels safer to me. You can see the asset, you can go and visit it. It feels safer. And I think that's sort of the trend, the psychology of investors in inflationary times is they will buy harder assets that are more tied to the income that the asset produces than general investor sentiment. Doug, can we talk about what you think makes a good real estate investment and then also maybe your real estate investment goals or outlook? Like how do you approach real estate investing in your portfolio? Mm-hmm. As you know, there's so many ways to invest in real estate. I think if your listeners are interested in different ways of investing in real estate, I highly recommend the, the Bigger Pockets podcast because that's just a fantastic way to learn about real estate investing. I mean, there's everything from flips to burrs, right? Buy, renovate, refinance, re rent, repeat, right? There's buy and hold, there's development, there's wholesaling. Right. There's a whole variety of things. For me personally, I'm 35 years old. I have decades to go until I retire. So I'm of the opinion that I want to start now to create this portfolio of real estate that when I retire down the road is pretty much paid off and cash flowing for my retirement. So I'm a buy and hold guy. I like to go and buy properties that are relatively new, perhaps even still under warranty. I like real estate that cash flows as opposed to real estate that is negative cash flow, meaning that the rent covers all of the costs, property taxes, HOA, maintenance, insurance, mortgage. And at the end of the month, there's a positive number coming into my bank account. I just don't like the idea of funding an investment every month. Really, the reality is real estate is an asset that you invest in for the cash flows alone. There's three major components of real estate investment gains. One is cash flows, but that's minor. The second is principal reduction, so paying down the mortgage. And as I mentioned, at today's interest rates, you know, you go and put 20% down with a 2% interest rate on a 25-year amortization. And even in year one, your principal repayments are increasing your equity by 12%. And then, of course, there is appreciation where, again, if you have a 20% down payment, even a 3% appreciation, you multiply it by five because you're 20% and the inverse of that is 5x. So really the most of the gains you're going to get from real estate, and I go into this into my book, is not from cash flow. It's from principal reduction and appreciation. And I think it has this sort of misconception as being this sort of fixed income product for you know, retirees to live on. But really it's, it's a pretty incredible wealth building tool. And there's a reason that most of the millionaires out there became millionaires through real estate. So Based on where I'm in my career, the time I have, I'm a father of two little kids. 
obviously being a vice president of finance for Berard is not a small time commitment. I'm looking for relatively passive properties that cash flow. And that's not going to happen in the core of Vancouver, right? You're going to have to look to sort of the more periphery markets. I like markets right now that are on the outskirts of up-and-coming cities like Victoria, like Kelowna. So in Kelowna, that means you know Rutland. In Victoria, it means Langford. These are these sort of future growth neighborhoods of these up-and-coming cities that I think will down the line become the Burnabys and Richmonds of those respective cities. The cash flow now... And you just sit back, relax, enjoy the cash flows while you wait for the appreciation over long periods of time. So, Doug, I totally agree with how you're approaching your real estate investing. And it's what we talk about on the show all the time, the buy and hold strategy as one component of everybody's kind of financial portfolio. So in thinking about your like how much real estate like you're right now, you're diversifying or moving into more real estate. Is there a percentage of anyone's total portfolio that you think should be dedicated to to real estate? Or are you kind of monitoring and making sure that you're diversified? Absolutely. Asset allocation is a really sort of personal decision to make. Some people really get frightened with the idea of risk and putting money into equity markets and into assets like real estate that have risks to go along with them for sure. So I think figuring out what allows you to sleep at night (laughs) and where your risk tolerance is, is important to be honest with yourself. For me, I am pretty bullish on real estate here in BC because I just believe that BC is the greatest place in the world to live and, and that will continue to be the case for the rest of time. Um, so I think it will continue to appre- appreciate forever. So I'm perfectly comfortable putting 30, 40, 50% of my net worth into real estate, whether that is my principal residence or investment real estate. But others might say, well, no, I, that's too much for me. I'd like to diversify into different countries and different asset classes and equities and fixed income and private equity and art and what have you. It's very personal. We've talked about on this show a little bit how it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. Um, And maybe we should pivot to taxes because how does tax inform your investment strategy and how does it apply to real estate investing? And what should a 17-year-old know about it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Getting 17-year-olds excited about taxes, now that is a challenge. (laughs) But it is an important component. So on the principal residence side, you know, when we buy a house for ourselves, Canada has this amazing tax law, the principal residence exemption, right? The fact that when you sell a house, you pay zero taxes on capital gains. That's not something that exists across the world. And it's an important thing to think about when you're looking at opportunity costs. Because again, let's say you have that $100,000 down payment and you're deciding whether you want to invest it in a house or you want to invest it in the stock market. Unless you have enough room in your TFSA and RRSP for that entire down payment, it's a taxable investment. So you have to look at the after-tax gains from an equity investment against a tax-free investment in your home. And so it becomes this pretty significant attraction to Canadians buying principal residences because it's it's an unbeatable uh, tax exemption. On the investment side of things, real estate has its own tax advantages as well. You know, the government wants people to build homes. They want people to build buildings for the economy to grow. It's not something the government wants to do, so it provides incentives. So things like depreciation, the ability to deduct part of the cost of a building over long periods of time to reduce the taxable income flowing from that building is a huge incentive to invest in real estate versus investing in stocks. As far as I know, you can't depreciate the value of a stock over time and take tax deductions. (laughs) So... So there's tax advantages for sure for real estate. You know, it can get complex for sure. And for people who are not CPAs that understand tax code, it's, it's important to build a team around tax planning and the strategies that you're implementing. Clearly, there's a lot of CRA scrutiny right now around real estate gains when the market is so hot and people are making so much money from things like pre-sale flipping assignments and uh and even principal residents that people buy and then sell within six months, you know, does that constitute operating a business? Is that now taxable? Good to talk to a CPA about the tax implications of things, but there are definitely tax incentives to investing in real estate versus other asset classes. 
Right. And just to spell that out, Doug, so the principal residence exemption, I think, is pretty clear, right? That's an easy one to get your head around. For listeners who potentially are not understanding exactly the use of depreciation on rental properties, can you give like an example, a real world example of how that benefits you as the owner of an investment property? Sure. Yeah. So let's say, let's go back to our example of the $500,000 investment property here. And of that $500,000, some of the value there is going to be allocated to the land that's underneath the building. And some is going to be allocated to the building itself because land doesn't depreciate, right? It, it's there forever. But a building, it does. It you know it gets wear and tear and over time it needs to be replaced. So let's say that on the $500,000 condo, $400,000 is allocated to the building and $100,000 is allocated to the land. The $400,000 can be depreciated over CRA's deemed life of that building. So you can depreciate 3 4%, I can't remember the exact percentage, per year of the building, which gives you 400000 times 3%, $12,000 a year tax deduction that can reduce the taxable income coming from that investment. Now, of course, taking the depreciation is going to reduce your tax basis in that investment over time. And if down the road you sell that condo for more than the tax basis, you'll be required to what's called recapture all the depreciation you've taken in your future tax return. And chances are when you've sold a property, you've made a little bit of money and you're probably in a higher tax bracket and the recapture can be quite a tax hit. But if your strategy is buy and and hold forever, depreciation is a pretty good way to eliminate all of the taxes that you're paying now. And again, the time value of money becomes important because the taxes that you've now saved, you can go invest those into more real estate or more investments and grow your net worth. So again, it's a pretty attractive tax planning opportunity, but is very dependent on your strategy for that that property over long periods of time. Fantastic. So Doug, we know you're, at least from the investing that we know about that you're doing, you're buying investment properties that you own solely, right? But there's other ways to invest in real estate. Can we talk about some of the ways you can invest in real estate without specifically buying a condo for yourself or a single family house? Mm -hmm. There's actually a growing variety of ways to invest in real estate. Traditionally, it was you can buy a a real estate investment trust, a REIT, which trades on a stock exchange, or you can become an accredited investor and go invest in commercial deals. Maybe taking a step back. So a REIT is a publicly traded pool of investments that trades like a stock. You can go buy one share of a REIT. And that is your way of buying a tiny share of a portfolio of commercial-grade assets. You can buy a hotel REIT, an apartment REIT, an office building REIT, and so forth. I'm not a big REIT fan, mostly because REITs trade like stocks and they can trade on sentiment and they're volatile. And if people, for whatever reason, don't like offices anymore, the REIT can fall by a significant value, even though the income being produced from those offices in the REIT is still going strong. So, you know, when COVID happened, for example, and people all assumed that offices were going to die and people were never going to go back to the office, REITs that held office properties were pretty badly beaten, even though the fundamentals underlying the properties weren't all that impacted. So, so that's one way. Another way is, of course, just direct title ownership, buying properties. But as we know, in BC, even the smallest one-bedroom condo is $300,000. So you know you need to have $60,000, $70,000 to be able to invest in a single property. Another way is through syndicated sort of private equity deals. I think you guys have talked with Western Wealth Capital on your podcast before. Yeah, yeah. You know, they syndicate from a large number of investors that all put in you know a minimum of, say, $25,000 each, and they go buy a 500-unit apartment building and Dallas or Phoenix or Las Vegas, and then everybody shares in the income and appreciation of that property. But those are limited to accredited investors. So you need to have $200,000 of income, a million dollars of liquid cash and securities, or $5 million of net worth. So obviously for the most 17-year-olds, that's not an option. (laughs) (laughs) You got to be at least 22. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But what's interesting is over the past few years, I think a lot of bright young entrepreneurs have recognized the fact that these commercial deals, which typically are the most lucrative, are restricted to accredited investors. And so you're seeing new investment platforms that open up commercial investment opportunities to everyday investors. 
So a local one is called Addy. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of that or not. But yes. Addy allows you to invest in commercial deals for, I think, as little as a dollar. Right. <laughs> There's also other ones like Fundrise. And you go online and you can look at all the different deals available and you can invest even though you're not accredited. They're very cool platforms. Um, like any other investment, the key is strong due diligence. You know, every you know methodology of investing in real estate has fees, costs, risks. People don't manage commercial real estate properties for free. So how much of your investment is going to investing in properties and how much of the income coming out of that property is going towards income for investors versus fees for the manager? So do your due diligence, but there are a variety of ways to get into the commercial real estate investing market without being accredited. Doug, maybe as a as a final question, I mean, there's always there's risk in any sort of investing, but also risk in almost anything you do. Like you said, buying a place to live in yourself as opposed to keeping your money under the mattress. You know, risk abounds kind of at every turn. One thing I'm wondering is how you would approach debt if you were a 17-year-old today, specifically thinking, you know, are there hard rules around debt that you would take? Or does this kind of inflationary environment change how you would approach debt? What are your thoughts on debt for young people? It's a really important one because making wrong decisions with debt when you're young can have really, really detrimental impacts on your ability to grow your wealth. So to me, there's only a few times when taking on debt makes sense. So Number one is to invest. So if you can go buy a piece of real estate using OPM, right? Other people's money, taking on debt, and your real estate is cash flowing and it pays the debt service costs and it pays the debt over time, that's good debt. Another example would be funding an education for yourself that makes financial sense. I'm not saying every student loan makes sense. I'm saying that there are some degrees out there that allow graduates to get jobs that exceed the debt service requirements of the student that they took on and become accretive to them. That's an important one to think about before you take on student debt. Is this degree going to earn me enough income that makes this debt worthwhile? And then finally, buying a home is always a good use of money, especially here in Vancouver, just because for a lot of people, paying a mortgage every month is a really great way to sort of force them to save. You have to pay your mortgage every month. And every month, some of that payment goes to paying down the debt and building the equity in that property. Not everybody has the sort of willpower to take excess money and invest it for themselves. They often will spend it. So it's a good way to force yourself to save. So, you know, suffice to say credit card debt is bad. Consumer debt is bad. In a lot of ways, car debt is bad. So make sure you're using your debt to acquire an asset, something that either increases your income or increases the equity of your net worth. Excellent. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. But Doug, we've got this segment called the Five Wire, Five Lighthearted Questions. I wonder if you did this back in 2018. I I can't remember if we had the Five Wire. I wouldn't say it's recent, but maybe. (laughs) Tells you how good our memories are. So five quick questions to end the show here. Can you stick around for that? Love to. Okay. So question number one is, what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? I moved to North Vancouver when my wife and I had our first child. We moved from downtown and the sort of, you know, the one bedroom downtown condo to the North Vancouver townhouse. And I tell you, I would never leave. I think North Vancouver is not only the best neighborhood in Vancouver, it's the best neighborhood in the world. And we live up in Canyon Heights. So we're a four minute drive from the base of Grouse Mountain. I can go skiing. I can go hiking. I can go enjoy the Capilano hikes. It's phenomenal. It is worth taking a step back to think just how privileged we are in Vancouver, where you can actually make the claim that it's not only the best neighborhood in the city, but you live in the best neighborhood in the world. But I think it's true. That's how I feel Prove about Lawrence Kildona in Winnipeg. <laughs> 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 what is your favorite bar or restaurant? Hmm, hard to think of that when I haven't been to one in a year. But um... <laughs> Where are you going when this is all over? <laughs> You know, I had a birthday a couple weeks ago, and we ordered from this great little barbecue joint in North End called Smoke and Bones, and they did a phenomenal platter of brisket and pulled pork and ribs and chicken and sausage and, you know, cornbread. It was awesome, awesome. Highly recommend. Smoke and Bones? Smoke, Smoke and Bones. That's a, great, that's a great name. That's the only way you can say it, too. <laughs> what is one book, and we're, I'd say Adam and I are recommending A Fighting Chance, so yeah, maybe yeah. we'll take your book off the table here. But what is one book you would recommend everyone read? I'll keep it at a sort of financial literacy category here, and there's a couple. 
On a Canadian standpoint, The Wealthy Barber by David Shelton is a phenomenal one. I was fortunate enough when I was finishing off my book, I called up David Shelton at his office in Waterloo and, and he talked to me, which was awesome. And he's a dragon's den dragon that you probably know. And that was great. And his book is really awesome for bringing personal finance down to an understandable level for Canadians. In the U.S. and somewhat on a global level, I really also recommend the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And he's made, you know, 15 million copies of this thing. And it's an amazing book that teaches us how to question some of the things that we've been passed down through our family about getting a job and buying a house and buying a car and questioning these traditions and deciding whether they're right for us financially. And it really, it makes you think about the decisions you're making in with your money. You know, Matt and I had a beer with David Chiltner, as I call him, Chili, at, uh, <laughs> Ani had an event. Like back uh, in back 2014, at, maybe? Yeah, back, it was, was a, wa- say it was a, a while, while ago. Yeah. One of the most grounded there. guys. He's super grounded. Yeah, maybe having a beer might be a little bit. We did well, talk to him for quite a bit of the, the It was about 30 and minutes on Ontario real estate, which we yeah, knew nothing about. But, but honestly, uh, there's few people I can think of that are as successful as him that come across as like your next door neighbor as like the nicest guy around <laughs> yeah. who's got all the time in the world. It's not surprising to hear he took your call. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. One piece of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Start investing. Buy an S&P 500 index fund, a TSX ETF, anything. Start putting money to work because that was 17 years ago now. And if I had invested $1,000 when I was 17, man, how, how much money would that be now? <laughs> right. Something you've purchased for under... $1,500 in the last year or two that's changed your life? Certainly AirPods. You know, I'm wearing my AirPods right now as we speak, and they are the most amazing tool for me to continue to learn, listen to podcasts, take phone calls while I'm parenting, while I'm at the gym, while I'm hiking in North Vancouver. They're, they're unbelievable. You know what? It's funny. Some other that's come up a couple of times on the show, but I truly think if somebody asked me, that would be my answer too. That has changed my life in in such a positive way. Not least that you don't get your cord caught when you're like doing the dishes or something like that on the kitchen <laughs> counter. But, right. That's right. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, but how can people find out more about what you're up to, Doug? And then of course, how can they find out more about A Fighting Chance, the high school finance education everyone deserves? For sure. The book is for sale as both a paperback and an ebook. Places you could go are Amazon, Indigo, Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, a whole lot. And a lot of libraries in Vancouver have also picked it up. But also in addition to the book, I've tried to build a bit of um a bit of an outrage platform with a blog and a social media empire. And so head to a fightingchancefinance.com or check me out on Instagram and Facebook. Are you planning on doing an audio version of this as well? Just because we've got obviously a lot of listeners that do Audible memberships as well. Sounds great. Would you guys want to do the narration? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt reading it. Fireside. Yikes. Yeah, that sounds uh, <laughs> excellent. Well, hey, thanks again for your time today, Doug. No problem. Thank you a lot for having me. There you have it, folks, our discussion with Doug Allen, author of A Fighting Chance, the high school finance education everyone deserves. Really enjoyed that conversation with Doug. Always a pleasure having Doug on the program. He's been a a strong member in the VREP community for a long time. And uh, if you recall, actually, Doug Allen used to join us for the the VREP Live. Oh, right. He did, VREP Live. I feel like if we ever, and we talked occasionally about starting a kind of chat room, I feel like you know, Doug is, first of all, such a prolific, efficient guy that he'd be able to somehow participate, like, <laughs> moderate and give great advice right. while doing 30 other things that he does. But yeah, he's one of the sections in his book. He talks about podcasts and audiobooks for his commute and walk <laughs> and, yeah. and how beneficial uh, that is in, uh, in his life. So anyway, right. great having Doug back on the show. Fighting Chance. The high school finance education everyone deserves. He's got a website, but more importantly, this is a a book that you can buy on Amazon and a variety of other places. I'd say uh, Amazon is is probably your easiest. And the Audible might be coming. That's the way I'll have to read it because I'm uh, I'm more of a listener than a reader. (laughs) 
<laughs> I have two ears and two eyes. <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, anyways, yeah, I'm looking forward to the Audible book. But what else do we have for the <laughs> to cut before the end of the day? I've got a kid who is literally like she does joke not, slamming she's, me. She does not like <laughs> the podcast. No. Uh, what else do we have for she's the day? Like uh, her mother. <laughs> Uh, we have a few things. Um, one, we we buried one of the leads, right? The Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast the launched. V-crep. The, the VCREP launched on Tuesday. We are shifting our schedule from Wednesday to Thursday. Right. So if you like Vancouver Real Estate, you're going to get a double dose every week. Yeah. Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast every Tuesday. That is starring... Uh, or ho- the host Corey Wright, right. who is uh, founder the AstraZeneca of podcasting, <laughs> the double dose. <laughs> he's the uh, no, yeah. Corey Corey is fantastic, and uh, he's doing he's doing terrific things over there. Yeah, and and the first uh, show was released. Commercial real estate for dummies, I believe, uh, is was the first episode. Anyway, what else do we got for the day? Uh, oh yeah, one last thing. I got to plug out to old Brady D. He. Uh, I saw Brady D socially the Podfather, the, the Podfather, Podfather, who does production on this show, and uh, it was funny because we were we had a socially distanced uh, park beer, um, and he was waxing poetic about Strathcona McLean Park. That's McLean a great, Park that's a great is an park incredible park. Yeah. yeah. So we were out there. The kids were playing on the playground. We were uh, just sitting around on the grass and uh, having a having a great old time. And and Brady D was telling me about how he loves his. Uh, what is it called? Like optical? It's like a VR headset, optical quest or something too. Optimum quest. Anyways, regardless, it's it's a VR uh, like video game, but also you can like watch YouTube on it and all these different things. Um, he was telling me about how when he edits the podcast, he actually edits like you know beachfront. Uh, where he can actually like be watching like YouTube and stuff sitting in a virtual world while he's working. And it sounded really great at the time. And I one clicked order order <laughs> one on Amazon, like four hundred dollars later or something. And I and I forgot I did it. And it showed up today. And man, am I in trouble? <laughs> um, Sabrina opened it. I gotta say, uh, impulse be, purchase. He'll, he'll be sitting on a beach. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> while, while somebody's screaming in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, uh, impulse purchase. But Brady D, thanks for the tip. We'll see how it goes. All right. And last but not least, we got Vancouver Real Estate Podcast This is our website where all things, including the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can sign up for things like the Live Wire. Right. This is our weekly newsletter, stats before anyone else. Assembly, Strathcona's Assembly. This is a project we had uh, VIP access to. So excited talk about that. talk and talk about popular. They had a huge amount of registrants for um, just a really cool project. The project is so cool. The outdoor space is so great. Uh, Some of my favorite interior finishes, like they have like just really interesting things. Just good choices made on that project uh, all around. But the VIP access is there. Uh, we got deal of the month. There's no reason why you shouldn't be on the live wire. We also got episodes. I mean, it's 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 great. I, I don't want to I don't want to pump my own tires, but I really I'm big fan of LiveWire. We also have research tools like private client services. And Matt, if you're not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's available on our site. Go sign up for private client services. Um, Best thing is they just gave the whole search a an upgrade oh man um, and it's it's great the tools are even better it, exactly. it's, it's crazy exactly so yeah head over to vancouver real estate podcast.com and sign up today if you want to talk about that or anything else 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouver real estate podcast.com or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouver real estate podcast.com we also got that secret line info at vancouver real estate podcast.com <laughs> Yeah, and, that's, and that's and that's it. <laughs> we're done. Ivy, what sound does a snake make? Not going to happen. <laughs> you don't care. All right. Have a good week, guys. And uh, we'll be back next week. But remember, we're back Thursday, Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast Tuesday. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 